Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. All these girls gonna be in the league? Hello, gorgeous. Female fight club. All men must die, but we are not men. Damn it, Kristen! What do you think happened to Karen? Lauren. Girl, her name is Kimberly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 57 of Citizen Dame, the podcast where we literally can't have good things. Like, any good things. Everything good goes away. <laughs> I am your host, Kristen Lopez, here with my other host, Karen Peterson. Hi. <laughs> and Lauren Humphreys-Brooks. I'm doing fine, man. I don't know what you're talking about. Fuck you, we live in a world without Filmstruck at the end of the it month. It hasn't okay? gone no away gosh, yet. I noticed yesterday from Roku, I got an email, and they're like, um, we weren't able to charge your card for Filmstruck, so you may have to lose it. And I was just like, Wah! I was sitting there thinking, like, you know, calculating my monthly bills, and I was like, oh, I don't have to pay Filmstruck this month. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Holy shit, I'm a horrible person. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, Kimberly Pierce is so upset over Filmstruck leaving that she's sitting at home right now trying to get through every movie on that list. Actually, I don't know what she's doing today, but I'm, I'd like to... All the movies. All yeah. the movies, yes. That's what, that's, that's what I'm trying to do, exactly. So, But we have some news, some questions, talking trailers and reviews. We're going to try to make the best of it. We also have some news. We have a lot of news, actually, on our end, because we actually have stuff happening happening with us let's talk about filmstruck filmstruck is closing at the end of november lauren you had some stuff that you were noticing on film twitter about it i wasn't here last week so i am very sad about filmstruck i i'm going to miss filmstruck and i was actually watching some movies last night and just going through my queue what i have on the list and i'm like oh no no but there are all of these movies that i want to see but i i don't know you know do i watch a rossellini now do i watch this one it's very sad. But one of the things that, you know, there was this outpouring on film Twitter of like, oh, this is really sad. For the most part, there were a few people that were like, well, obviously, this isn't going to make any money because nobody watches these films, um, which is just bullshit. So there's sort of this outpouring on film Twitter, but it, it immediately struck me because I was seeing some familiar names coming up uh, in talking about Filmstruck and how sad this was. And I was like, wait a minute, like it was less than a year ago that everybody was arguing about how you don't need to see classic films. You don't need to have a wide range of cinematic knowledge in order to be a film critic. And that kind of pissed me off because I'm sitting there going like, you know, one of the things that we talked about when, when you mentioned this last year, Kristen, and when everyone was talking about it was people mentioned Filmstruck as a, as a great resource for, you know, for people that are interested in cinematic history and for people that are film critics and to see the same people who were like, well, I don't need to have seen these movies because I don't like old films, to then talk about like, oh, it's really sad that Filmstruck is going well. It's just like, no, it's not sad for you. You don't give a shit. You never cared. Why do you suddenly care at this moment? So it's it's been this weird sort of overlap between those conversations. It's as though those people who are talking about this don't recognize that it's it's partially their behavior and their attitude that is causing people like Warner to be like, well, it, it's not worth it anymore. It makes me mad that there are people out there who think that this is all part of some end game. That like Warner is definitely going to do something with classic films. They just want to do it under their banner. And so, you know, guys, we're losing Filmstruck, but obviously this means that Warner is doing something even greater with it. They just want to put it under their umbrella. And I have to say, no, you're an idiot. Because 
Warner had their own umbrella for classics. They did Warner Archive Instant. And I think they gave that even less time and far less money than Filmstruck did. And they closed that too last year. So I don't think that Warner has any interest in preserving classic films. Barry Jenkins posted a tweet, I believe, that was a quote from AT&T or or Warner, one of them saying that it, it just wasn't, it was a niche community that they don't feel they need. That's unfortunately where I think we're at. As well-intentioned as the petitions and the support from big names like Guillermo del Toro and Edgar Wright are, I just think this is a money decision, unfortunately. As as I laid out in the last episode, and as we all know, big studios don't see any benefit in releasing old content like this. Not on DVD, and sure as hell not on streaming. It just depresses me. <laughs> It's depressing. I do think like Criterion has already talked about keeping the Criterion channel going in some fashion, which I... They'll probably just go back to Hulu, which is where it started. That's not great, but that does mean that those films will still be available to stream. Uh, The other thing that people were talking about was, you know, oh, we need to invest in physical media. And as I pointed out, and as a number of people pointed out, this isn't about physical media. You know, I buy Criterion discs. I buy Kino discs because because I want those films. But they're usually films that I've already seen and that I know I love and that I want to be able to watch multiple times. I very, very rarely go out and be like, I'm just going to buy this disc, you know, of, of a, an obscure Japanese horror film because I want to see it. I'm not going to spend 30 or 40 or sometimes $50 no matter how good the quality is on something that I really haven't seen and that I don't even know if I'm going to want to own it. So one of the wonderful things about Filmstruck was the ability to watch some of those films. And then as, as numerous people pointed out, a lot of those films are not on Criterion. They're not available in physical media in any way. And streaming is a nice medium because it means that for very for fairly low cost in actually putting those films out there, you can watch some of these movies. You can watch some of these, le- you know, quote, lesser known films that are made by famous directors or that are just that just haven't gotten the same kind of critical attention that movies like, you know, Casablanca have gotten or that some of Alfred Hitchcock's later films have gotten. And you actually were able to experience those. So, I mean, I think that these films are going to be available in other ways, but it's going to be a lot more of people like us who know what to look for. And are able to like search out some of these films versus just having them there, having them really well curated, uh, having good copies of them and, you know, being able to actually watch these films and be like, oh, I, you know, I need to watch a John Huston movie. I think, Karen, you mentioned this last year or last uh, episode. I want to be able to watch a John Huston movie. But, you know, I'm just going to click on John Huston. And look, I, here are all of these films, some of which I've seen. You've got the Maltese Falcon, some of which I've never even heard of. I'm going to try that. Uh, and that's what's really disappointing about all of this. What we need is, and it's probably a bad example considering how they're going as of right now, is we need like a Megan Ellison-esque figure for classic films who can afford to spend money to like buy rights. I, I mentioned last episode, you know, places like Paramount that don't even bother to release their classic films late at all. They just don't see any value. I would love somebody with like Steve Jobs money who could go in and be like, I want to restore this movie and put it out on DVD just because. 
Well, and we've gotten some of that with with Scorsese and right. um, some of the Michael Powell films. Like he's been very dedicated. There are there are directors and film buffs who are dedicated to you know reproducing these films, and it is worth it to go on to like Kino or uh, to go to places like Canopy if you if they, you have it available, or even my library doesn't even, have it. I know mine neither. You know, I I was looking at Canopy because I'm like I have not watched Canopy because I had Filmstruck. So I was like, oh, I'm going to look at Canopy. And they do have a lot of the Criterion films. They have a lot of Kino Lorber, which, uh, you know, are, are some of the much more obscure movies. Then, like, Criterion tends to release the, the more, like, you know, uh, well-known art house films. So, like, if you have access to it, it's awesome. If you don't have access to it, ask for access to it. Because it's it's a great resource, and it's, it's free, and it's through the library. Yeah. You get to support libraries. I agree. It's sad, and even though I don't think these films are going to go away, it's sad to lose the resource and, and the curation. So, we miss Filmstruck already, even though it, you have till the end of the month. We're going to talk about Filmstruck some more uh, in the review section, because I'm sure we've all got some Filmstruck titles we want to discuss. So, moving on to... Some other news this week. Rebel Wilson. I know, it's not a name you hear very often. So apparently she has a new romantic comedy out that she is both star and co-producer of. It's a film called Isn't It Romantic? I did not know this movie existed until yesterday when everybody was pissed about it. She plays a woman who wakes up to find herself trapped inside a rom-com and torn between two love interests. I wish I had seen this trailer before because I did not know it had Baby Hemsworth in it. And now I'm just like, fuck, I'm going to have to go see this, aren't I? Um, shit. They get me every time, those magnificent Australians. Um, not Rebel Wilson, unfortunately, but, you know, it has nothing to do with her. Um, it's just like, I'm not sexually interested in her. So, <laughs> so a lot of discussion yeah just let that simmer in the head for a minute but there was a lot of discussion she had come out and said that this was subverting tropes because she is a plus size woman no 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 she said she is the first plus size actress to ever lead a romantic comedy and a lot of women especially women of color immediately jumped on her and said wait what the hell are you talking about there's been numerous movies with Queen Latifah and Monique it, as rom-com leads, and they are plus-size women. What the hell are you talking Lake, about? And she, respond- <laughs> she responded on Twitter in a way that does not answer the question at all. She says, quote, Yeah, of- I of course know of these movies, but it was questionable as to whether, one, technically those actresses were plus-size when filming those movies, or two, Technically, those films are categorized slash billed as a studio rom-com with a sole lead. So there's a slight gray area. No, there's not. (laughs) She just messed up and was like, what I was hoping when I first read her quote, I was hoping when she clarified it, she was going to come out and say, yeah, I was being sarcastic and I was taken out of context, you know? Because that would have made sense. Like, yeah. Oh, I'm the very first one ever. But she's totally not. But no, instead she's like, yeah, well, I think I'm still technically right. <laughs> no, you're completely wrong. <laughs> okay, let's break this down. It was questionable as to whether they were plus size when filming the movie. I think you can tell by the finished mm-hmm. product. They didn't gain weight 
to play in those roles or lose weight. I that's the stupidest response. Like the, out of this whole response, that's the part where I'm just yeah, like, wait, exactly. what? They weren't categorized, billed as a studio rom com with a sole lead. Yeah, they were. Those movies were sold on Queen Latifah and Monique's name. They weren't sold on. I don't even know any of the male leads in those movies because that's not what they were sold as. You weren't going to see Just Right because Common was in it. You went because it mm-hmm. Queen Latifah in it. Yeah. Okay, I'm not going to see. I'm not going to see this movie because Rebel Wilson's in it. I'm sorry. I'm going to see it because Liam Hemsworth's in it. So I think by her same logic, her movie doesn't count. (laughs) There you go. The first one that I loved to was was Queen Latifah and and both Hairspray films. So both the the original John Waters one with Ricky Lake and the one with Nikki Blonsky. And you can argue about the John Waters film. You know, it's not a mainstream film. Okay, yeah, it was his biggest, it was one of his biggest mainstream successes. But all right, it's not a huge studio film and it wasn't a bunch of big stars or anything like that. The fucking remake is, part of it is about her being plus sized. Mm -hmm. The attraction between her and Link and their relationship and everything. Her and her mother being really conscious of being plus sized. It's a weird claim. I mean, it sounds like Rebel Wilson, to give her the benefit of the doubt, I think that she didn't know. I think she didn't think. And she just said it, and now, and then she's trying to cover her ass about it. But she should have just said, like, oh, yeah, you're right, I was wrong. Yep. That would have been pretty easy. <laughs> what have we learned this year? This is not the year of people making smart, intelligent, obvious decisions. That's really the thing. I mean, I, this this whole discussion actually did make me think of how how, I would say, how far we haven't come in terms of changing up the dynamic about size and romantic comedies i mean you get the occasional yeah queen latifah monique which i would still say are still marketed falsely to an african-american audience predominantly than the rom-com market which they should be i mean they're they're rom-coms but at the same time we're seeing this resurgence of romantic comedies now especially on netflix and yeah they're doing stuff with with race which is great but we haven't broken that barrier of women who are not a size zero. You know, we just don't talk about it. You get you get curvy, but you don't get plus size still. Right. I have to say, I generally like Rebel Wilson. I enjoy her. I think she's funny. But even just watching the trailer for this one, which I think we're going to talk about later, looking at it, it's just like, oh, the joke is that she is like, that she's not attractive. And that she only becomes attractive when she like wakes up and is starring in a romantic comedy. The joke is that she's plus size. That is the entire joke of the of the foundation of this film, and that suddenly men are attracted to her. Come on, we've got to have moved past this. By I'm now. gonna say, yeah. haven't we seen this movie already with Amy Schumer earlier <laughs> this year? Uh, no, some of us chose not to see it, but um... I saw it, so <laughs> I'm I'm gonna remind everybody that I took that bullet for everybody. Okay, well, I one died one... for your sins with that. With I feel pretty. Okay, well, but one thing I wanted to just say too, though, is like you have someone like Melissa. McCarthy who she has been in some really great really funny movies the fact that she's plus size has never been really part of the point of any of those characters it's just been a fact you know and that's that's where it should be there's a distinction that has to be made between making a character who is a plus size character and making that character actually like a sexual being yeah I think Melissa McCarthy 
is one of the only women who gets to break that barrier. You know, if you watch something like Bridesmaids, Mm -hmm. you know, she is sexually confident. That is reciprocated at the end, not not necessarily all the way through. But it's not like, oh my god, she's heavy, that's disgusting. You know, there's no joke there. Rebel Wilson is one of those actresses, I I remember writing an article about her when the first Pitch Perfect came out, that she embraced being the heavy set friend who like constantly brought up her weight and yet was still made fun of because of it and now that that paradigm is changing like i feel like there's some self-denial of how she perpetuated those stereotypes early in her career now she doesn't want to i was gonna say about melissa mccarthy the spy right the paul feig film and which part of the joke could have been her weight right like they could have gone in that direction but it wasn't her major like stumbling block in being with the man that she wanted to be with was first of all him like he actually wasn't worth it and secondly was her own lack of confidence so it wasn't about what size she was she could have been she could have been a size zero she could have been a size whatever And it wouldn't have particularly made any difference because it was about her level of confidence. And by the end of the film, she has achieved a level of confidence that she's just like, yeah, I'm awesome. I will throw out before we close the subject on Rebel Wilson, size and weight, I don't think have the same stigma associated with them in film like they used to, even though we don't see them. But I will literally, like, every time somebody's like, oh, it's so daring and brave that we have a rom-com with a woman who's not a size two. I just think, like, weight is something that people do find, we, we can see past that. Give me a goddamn romantic comedy with a disabled lead who is a woman, and let's try to look past that shit, because that is a harder hurdle to cr- to cross. <laughs> and Hollywood doesn't tackle that at all. So, Rebel Wilson... Play girl in a wheelchair trying to deal with all of your shit, and then we'll talk. Actually, don't. Actually, Hollywood will put <laughs> that tomorrow, okay? They'll, they'll give that the green light and $100 million budget. I did want to say one more thing. The fantastic television show Miranda, um, there's a British TV show, is Miranda Hart, and I, I thought of this because uh, she's also in Spy with Melissa McCarthy. There are jokes about her weight, and particularly about her height, because she's, I think, over six foot. But the entire like structure of that TV show is about her lack of confidence and her unwillingness to basically tell the guy that she's in love with that she's in love with him. And when she does, it's like this marvelous romance. First of all, go go watch the show. It's a mar- it's a wonderful TV show. But so this sort of thing has been this has been replayed. Like and and Rebel Wilson, as someone who has has done a lot of British films, a lot of Australian films, she should be aware of this. Once again, the motto of 2018, you should be aware of this. I forgot we had garbage people in here because I like to knowingly live in a world where I assume people aren't assholes. Well, apparently right now they all live in France, so. Yeah. Apologies to any of our French listeners. Okay, (laughs) hashtag not all French. I know, I got it. (laughs) So the director of Blue is the Warmest Color, whose name I don't even want to get made fun of for mispronouncing, so... I'm not going to say it unless anybody has a better way to pronounce it. I'm not sure. Exactly. Yeah. He's the director of Blue is the Warmest Color. And he's a garbage person, so we're not even going to name him. He's been accused of sexual assault. 
the prosecutor's office in Paris is doing a preliminary investigation based upon a report filed by an unnamed 29-year-old actress. This is all according to The Hollywood Reporter. The actress is claiming that she had dinner with him in June in his apartment in Paris. And after several drinks with him and a friend, she blacked out and uh, found that he was assaulting her while she was passed out. And she filed the complaint early October. Of course, he denies all of this. This is the third high-profile sexual assault investigation in France. Because in case you forgot, they're also investigating claims against Luc Besson back in May and Gerard Depardieu back in August. I don't know how the French justice system works, but it's really slow. It's about as slow as ours, actually. The thing I noticed about all of these is that these are three people that all pretty much wore their garbage personhood on their sleeves. We should have known this. If you've seen Blue is the Warmest Color, which I did, and I reported back when I saw it how uncomfortable it made me, and that I thought it was a softcore porn masquerading as a film, I got told mostly by men that I missed the artistry. Of the film. Yeah, I missed the artistry of a 20-minute sex scene with the camera looking up a woman's vagina. I I didn't like the movie. I thought it was a little exploitative. The actresses, I want to say, also came forward after the fact and said that they weren't really down with everything that happened in the movie. Luke Besson, we've already talked about the fact that he's a pervert, okay? And Depardieu, come on. Like, if you gave me these three guys and said, oh yeah, they were, I'd be like, of course they were. Wasn't Gerard Depardieu the one that started peeing on a plane and then Anderson Cooper lost yeah. it laughing telling the story? Yeah, but Gerard Depardieu has had a long, long history of yeah. being gross. Yeah, like- pretty much. Gerard Depardieu more than anybody. I was watching My Father the Hero the other day, <laughs> which is a movie that as a teenager I loved, okay? Because like Catherine Heigl's so pretty and it's really sweet. And then you watch it as an adult and you're like, oh, fuck, this movie is actually really troubling. Oh, no, it's really problematic. Oh, no, it's just, it's straight up gross. I don't know what made me think of that. Maybe because you're a deprodusing. Well, it'll be interesting to see how these things play out because even, you know, we, we have such a problem with machismo culture in America, but the French have it even worse. Oh, yeah. The attitude towards, and we, we've seen it with the Roman Polanski stuff. We've seen, we've seen it pretty continuously, actually, throughout French history. They have a certain attitude about the way that men behave and the way that men are expected to behave. None of this is particularly surprising, but it is good to see that this is happening across you know, international barriers. There's also been discussion about Bollywood having their own Me Too moment uh, or Me Too like reckoning, basically, that things are beginning to come out about people within Bollywood. There, a number of people have, have talked about that this should not be referred to as a national movement because it's not. It's an international movement. And a lot of people and a lot of women, even within these very patriarchal and very macho oriented cultures are beginning to be like, you know what, this is bullshit. We're not going to, we're not going to take this anymore. We're not going to stand for it. And we're actually going to move forward and try to try to punish at least some of these men who are behaving like this. So we'll have to wait and see what France does. It's just a reminder that if a guy repeatedly tells you that a movie is really, really good and it's artistic and it just seems scummy and exploitative, probably is. Especially when you get straight men fetishizing movies about lesbians. That's what always bothers me. There's always a little bit of concern when straight men like a movie about lesbians too much. I begin to go like, okay, I have an issue with this. And I have an issue with the way that you're talking about Mm -hmm. this. 
I know we talked about this when we talked about like rape revenge films when we talked about Elle and I feel this is very much in the same vein that is a movie that is seared into my brain for all the wrong reasons because I was just sitting there thinking like so this is porn right I mean like y'all want to say showgirls is porn like this is porn it just has a classier artistic story it just I don't get it it's from at j underscore beanie and she says off the back of the On the Basis of Sex coming out soon, what other biopics of women in distant or recent history would you like to see? And casting or filmmaker ideas for it. This is something that came up a couple months ago. I saw someone had, you know, written this thing. You know, all the usual, oh, well, we need a movie about J.K. Rowling. And I'm like, okay, um, <laughs> how about George Eliot instead? You know, like. That would be interesting. I love how people think George Eliot was a man. Spoiler alert. I'll throw, I'll throw out mine then. Uh, because I have, I have several, mostly film related. But I keep saying that I would love to see a biopic about mm -hmm. Lupe Velez. If nobody knows who Lupe Velez is, she was one of the first latina actresses to really break into hollywood up there with like dolores del rio they had a studio created what rivalry because dolores del rio was the classy mexican and lupe was the the one who was like crazy lupe velez led an awesome life okay <laughs> up until she died because she like married johnny weissmuller and they had a crazy ass acrimonious relationship they were fighting and they were also having crazy sex all the time. She married Johnny Weissmuller, but she had dated Gary Cooper beforehand. Lupe had a type. She had a parrot. And one day Johnny Weissmuller killed the parrot because it kept calling him Gary. <laughs> and it was great. Ah. Yeah, I know, right? It's a, I, And I know that Kenneth Angier really ruined her life with Holly Babylon. He, he said that she drowned in a toilet while she was trying to throw up sleeping pills and that she passed out and ended up drowning that's not true she did not drown in the toilet but she led an utterly amazing life even though her characters were stereotypical they always had very broken english but she was very funny she was a, a great comedian she she had a really really amazing career and i would love to see it because i don't think we have biopics about the actresses or even actors of color from back in the day. We talk about it. I know Steve McQueen was discussing doing a Paul Robeson biopic a couple years ago, but I would love to see a Lupe biopic, preferably starring Gina Rodriguez, because I think she looks just like her and I think she could pull it off because we know she can do do comedy. I don't know a filmmaker that could, that could pull it off. I would say just like any lady director. That's my go-to. I also say Veronica Lake, just because I really want people to remember her the way I do. Although there's a lot of issues in researching her for three years. I don't know how we necessarily do that in a way that's not fucking depressing. But I know Jessica Chastain has talked about playing her. And they, they do have the same hair. So it would, <laughs> it would be very interesting to see. So I would like to add Mary Wollstonecraft. Ooh, yeah. mother of Mary Shelley. Preferably better than Mary Shelley, the movie. She was such an amazing, you know, philosopher <laughs> and feminist of her time. That would be great. Eleanor of Aquitaine from like way back in history, you know, oh, like the yeah. time period where we like to cover the dudes, but her story is fascinating, you know. And actually, as I was just kind of like looking through some some of my old lists, I another one that I think would be really interesting is Bessie Coleman. She would be First American woman to earn an international pilot's license. 
She also happened to not be white. <laughs> this actually comes up at a really great time because I think it was announced in the last week that Keisha Sharp from the Lethal Weapon television show is going to star and produce in a biopic about Eartha Kitt. And I am all for that. Eartha, that's another woman that had a crazy, awesome life. Could, bonus points if they can include that Paul Newman, James Dean <laughs> three-way that Eartha Kitt claims yeah, she we're had. getting the Eartha Kitt when we were getting the Harriet Oh, I'm movie, certain so. she yeah. did. I'm believing that she did too, but I want to, like, just come on. Just let us see it. I want to know how that looks. We just want to revel in it for a bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I know, I know they dated Dorothy Dandridge biopic over a decade ago with Halle Berry. I have not seen it. I want to. I've heard it's good. But I always say Tessa Thompson is, like, poised to play either Dorothy Dandridge or Lena Horne. Just one that, that I just thought of because as we were talking about Hollywood and covering the men, but not really covering the women. Um, and I think that this might actually be in the works somewhere, but the female Russian sniper in World War II, who's the most successful, one of the most successful snipers in the world, uh, her name is Ludomilo Pavlichenko. And she's credited with uh, 309 kills, and she was regarded as one of the top military snipers of all time. Like this, this was something that came to my attention because of the um, it was like the rejected princesses stories that are like about women that you know could be made into Disney films, but would never be because. But these are like you know awesome, awesome ladies, and and this this woman was like a stone cold badass basically. And she is like highly decorated in the Russian army, but she went off and killed Nazis. And I would love to see that. Uh, the other one that I thought of was Mabel Normand. Oh, yeah. Known as being the partner of uh, Charlie Chaplin and Fatty Arbuckle, but was a really major figure in her own right. She, I mean, she had a lot of downturn and I think she died very, very young. She died at like the age of 37. But there's so much to, to be said about her. She's a fabulous female comedian. And she, she deserves as much attention as people like Chaplin and Keaton and Arbuckle have, have received. And she just hasn't had the same, the same degree of attention because she's a woman and because she very often played sort of their other halves. I would love to see like an actual, a proper biopic about her. And it would also be an opportunity for Hollywood to do some of the things that Hollywood loves to do, which is talk about itself, cast like other famous comedians. You could have Chaplin, you can have Arbuckle and actually like tell the story about the, the early period of Hollywood in which women function at such high levels. You have so many female directors and actresses and comedians, people that were very much drove the development of Hollywood and that have now either been reduced to footnotes or have been ignored altogether. Yeah, I'll never forgive the uh, the Chaplin biopic, the Robert Downey Jr. one, for portraying Mabel Normand as, like, a bitchy star fucker who essentially was only there because she was Max Sennett's girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, played by Marissa Tomei. Although that movie also really ruins uh, Mary Pickford, too. Her and Chaplin were friends in the movie pretty much presents her as like the the yoko ruining his friendship with douglas fairbanks i'm just like that's not true they keep saying they're gonna do a mary pickford biopic with lily rabe which i think is perfection Ooh, but okay. i i know people associated with that and they say it's not gonna happen oh you know what else i so want very sad. indira gandhi with shore agdashlu yes <laughs> Yes. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. Okay, see, there are amazing women out there that aren't Louisa May Alcott or Jane Austen. You can do biopics about other people. <laughs> I'm just saying. 
And we can have the same pretty clothes also. If that's one of the things we want, we can exactly. have the pretty yes, clothes. Yes, exactly. If you really want that costuming Oscar, okay? That's right. Coming back around to Rebel Wilson, because the trailer for her movie came out. You guys watched it. I missed it. So I'm just going to sit here and judge it based purely on what I'm, I've heard. It's a movie. <laughs> it's a movie. <laughs> I am like, I think, Karen, you said this earlier that, you know, you didn't even know this movie existed yeah. until like yesterday. And yeah, same, same thing. I actually saw the trailer on like Instagram and I was like, huh, what the fuck is this? Like at first I thought it was a, um, uh, like a TV movie or something or like a Netflix film or something like that. And then I was like, no, it's an actual movie, like in a theater, <laughs> uh, before all of the shit about Rebel Wilson happened yesterday, I, I, I was actually like, oh, this looks kind of interesting because I, I like the playing with genre and being like, oh, it's now going to, you know, th- things are going to take place in like a romantic comedy world. I like the idea of a woman waking up and being like, oh, suddenly I'm in a romantic comedy because, of course, romantic comedies follow a certain formula, particularly contemporary ones, and certain things have to happen. I, I actually really enjoyed in the trailer, they do the whole, like, it's a PG-13 romantic comedy, so she's about to go to bed with a guy, and then the next moment she wakes up, and, like, he's coming, he's coming back from the shower or something like that. And, of course, she never actually gets to have sex with him because it's a, romantic com- it's a PG-13 romantic comedy and there are no sex scenes. And I liked that. I thought that that was very clever. I don't know. It might, it could be good. It could be one of those things that sort of plays around with the genre and does something interesting with it. I don't know. I can't tell. Going off of absolutely nothing, because I haven't seen this trailer, this sounds like it's going to be terrible. <laughs> because if you look at the people behind it, it's directed by Todd Strauss Schulson, who did The Final Girls, which is a really fun movie slash send up of the horror genre. But I don't think that has to do with his directing as much as it has to do with the script, which was really good. And he did not write The Final Girls. So he also directed a very Harold and Kumar 3D Christmas. Quality! It is written by women, which is great. It's written by Aaron Cardillo and Dana Fox. Aaron Cardillo wrote mostly television shows. She created the CW series Life Sentence. And Dana Fox is the writer of the other Rebel Wilson movie, How to Be Single, as well as Couples Retreat and What Happens in Vegas and The Wedding Date. So this seems like it was created in a lab of, like, studio romantic comedy to be a send-up of studio romantic comedies, which could have merit. But I don't think it will. Well, I'm going to be honest. I was really annoyed by Rebel Wilson's comments, but I actually think the movie looks like it potentially could be good. I agree with Lauren. I mean, I don't think it's going to be anything amazing. It's not going to be, you know, crazy rich Asians, but I think... What is? (laughs) Exactly. But I I think that it does also not look like the Amy Schumer movie either. So it... It, oh, it, you know what it reminds me of a little bit as far as tone and stuff is 13 going on 30 which i just think is so cute. i love that movie yeah that's kind of more of what it reminded me of so that's what i'm hoping is kind of the vibe. this is a year that i've been surprised by things that i thought were going to be terrible not everything ends up being i feel pretty i did not think the spy who dumped me would be good either and i love that movie mm. so <laughs> I am ready to be wrong. I'm also ready to be wrong by Liam Hemsworth. I mean, I'm gonna go. We all know this, okay? Lauren and Karen already knew that from the jump. I'm gonna go. I'll put money down. 
I mean, it is a lesser Hemsworth. Yeah. yeah, but, you know, even lesser Hemsworth's still a Hemsworth, okay? Unless it's the middle Hemsworth that nobody remembers. <laughs> so, I'm I'm sorry, other Hemsworth, I don't remember. I know you exist. Poor, 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 poor I, No, I'm taking to calling him Roscoe, okay? So, poor Roscoe Hemsworth. You guys, need, you guys need to watch The Good Place, because there's a character on there named Larry Hemsworth, and he's the fourth brother who you <laughs> want anyone to know about. <laughs> Because, I mean, he's super gorgeous, but he's, like, the ugly one. He's not as successful because he's a doctor. Like, <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> so funny. He is what I call the Betty Faye Olsen. Of, yeah. <laughs> that comes out Valentine's Day, which actually I would say it's the worst thing to take your girlfriend to on Valentine's Day. She's going to look at the lesser Hemsworth and look at her boyfriend and be like, what the hell am I doing with my life? <laughs> just saying that old spice commercial look at your man now me exactly <laughs> it's just gonna be that so maybe wait until like after that weekend sadly he is not me <laughs> he could be me <laughs> but he can smell like me sadly he's not a hemsworth. Hey, that guy's gonna be mike hamlin and it too. But, i mean we all know that even was... even liam hemsworth is no replacement for chris hemsworth so i was actually thinking earlier today about how chris hemsworth probably smells like <laughs> <laughs> i'm just gonna assume that's, that's, a, that's a future button okay with a giant cookie on it okay i'm just gonna get a background okay and i'm gonna just put lauren's quote over the front of it <laughs> i'm digging that we're getting through these agendas fairly quickly because it actually leaves us time to talk about movies so stuff came out this week if you re- remember, it's actually the wide release of Bohemian Rhapsody. Go listen to our episode from last week if you want to know how much we all hated that. Well, I didn't get to jump in on that action because I didn't. Yes, feel free. Feel free to jump in. My question is, why is it called Bohemian Rhapsody if they're not going to show the song in its entirety? That was my big takeaway from that entire thing. Because Brian Singer <laughs> was having a bad day that day and he had to go home. <laughs> And he couldn't film it. And I want to say, didn't Brian Singer come out with like some statement where he was like, he was having health problems and he was emotionally fragile that week. Mother or grandmother or someone like that. Yeah, Yeah. but he was, but everybody was like, especially women were jumping on the fact that he, he was emotionally fragile. And they were like, women are told that they can't be emotionally fragile and make a movie. But Brian Singer... I think what I was reading was like there was like in one of the articles it was that he had cried on the set he had a breakdown one day he was crying and they were talking about how a day when they were filming Twilight Catherine Hardwick had had that and she got so much shit for it and he's like I gotta take three weeks off you know and And not tell anybody and also I'm a horrible dumpster fire of a human as I wrote in my review that is probably one of thousands of scenes including all the gay stuff that just was not filmed or is sitting on an editing room floor right now. Well, and now. I like how they pretend that they wrote Bohemian Rhapsody, like, sober. <laughs> <laughs> what? Are you saying that Freddie Mercury wasn't the only one taking drugs There's during no the way. 70s? Anybody contributed to that song, Stone Cold Sober. <laughs> I love how the movie says, like, there was such a grand plan to that song. Like, literally... <laughs> We don't ever explain what it is, but they were definitely firing well, on all, and all the guys, like the yeah. other four guys, plus the producers and their manager. Everybody's just like, yeah, this is going to be great. Not one single person ever questions it. 
Mike Myers. Right, which I have to say, I was laughing my face off when they go to that scene where he's the record company producer guy and they're playing him the song and he's just like, no, this is terrible. And I was laughing because my introduction to Bohemian Rhapsody came watching Wayne's World. Sure, that's why he was there. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that is why they did not do the full song. Because Wayne's World already did the best lip synced version mm-hmm. of that entire of that song, exactly. and that is how we should all remember. And and a reminder that Penelope Spheris, who directed Wayne's World, was also labeled a difficult director yep. and has That's not directed. True. My favorite, hey, didn't you know that moment in Bohemian Rhapsody is, of course, when they're all fighting and mm-hmm. little Tim from Jurassic Park's like, hey, guys, I got this beat going and it's another one bites the dust <laughs> and then they just start singing like, no, wait, what the fuck is work. happening here? All of their music just came together magically. It was just perfect. Did you not know that? That's why I wanted them to film the scene where they he records the song from Highlander. Because obviously, Freddie Mercury was a Highlander, and that's why they made the song, right? Oh my gosh. So I'm like watching it last night. It was a pretty crowded theater. It's the scene where they're doing Live Aid. So it's the end of the freaking movie. And this lady down the row from me just suddenly goes, is that the kid from Jurassic <laughs> Park? And I was just like, oh my gosh. Be Hopefully. like, yes, yes, Virginia, it really is Tim from Jurassic Park. <laughs> he has no business looking like a middle-aged man, can I just tell you that? He looked like a middle-aged man when he did the social network, and that was like 10 years ago. I know, it's very disturbing to me, because 1990 was only 10 years ago. I would have had more respect for him if he kept his hair post-electrocution in that movie. He just showed up in Bohemian Rhapsody with his hair looking like he had just been electrocuted off of a fence. <laughs> he goes through the weirdest hair changes throughout There are that so, movie. oh my god, the wig budget on this movie sometimes is he has bananas. Sometimes he does and, yeah. Yeah. The wig budget and the leather pants budget is just bananas in this film, okay? <laughs> it still sucks. Karen, you saw... Nutcracker and the Four Realms, which I have been digging every person's nut-based headlines for these for this movie. <laughs> I did not go with a nut-based headline Ooh. for my review. Missed opportunity, I guess, maybe, but so here's the thing. I enjoyed this movie. I thought it was really sweet. I enjoyed it a lot of the way that I enjoyed a wrinkle in time. It's interesting because a lot of the negativity about it has actually been similar to what A Wrinkle in Time got, too. It's not breaking new ground. It's not anything, like, news story-wise. I mean, the entire thing is basically in front of a green screen. What I love about it is that Clara, the main character, she's the middle child of this family. It is still set in Victorian London. Her mother has recently passed. And so the family is really, you know, still grieving. It's their first Christmas without mom. But Clara is a girl who is an inventor. She understands physics and math and things like that. And that actually ends up being an important part of the point. So when she ends up in the four realms and there's this, you know, war going on, It's not by chance that she ends up there. She kind of is drawn there because it turns out that her mother had created the four realms or found them or was the queen. And so, but she didn't ever know anything about it. And so she ends up there in a very Narnia-like way. It's just this really just fun, sweet movie. It's very family-friendly. And I'm all about a good family-friendly movie 
during the holiday time that families can take their kids to go see a movie about a girl who is super into science and understands it, uses it to her advantage, uses it to help people. And actually, there are a couple moments where she's actually explaining why something's going to work the way that it does, which is cool, too, because it's a little lesson for kids. It's not just like, hey, this is movie magic that this worked. There's actual reasons for it. The best part of the entire thing is an entire dance sequence by Misty Copeland, which just made me cry. It was so beautiful. And it was such it was it was beautiful because it's a nod to the ballet. But also it just was so amazing to see Misty Copeland get to be in this movie and do this part. The thing that hit me about it was knowing that for so many kids, this is going to be their first time ever experiencing ballet because we don't take kids to the ballet anymore, you know? And the fact that this is their first experience and they're going to see her, Misty Copeland was the first African-American woman from the American ballet theater to dance the lead in Swan Lake. She it has won all kinds of awards. She's done all kinds of amazing things. And she herself is such a groundbreaking performer. And to know that kid, like for kids, that was going to be their introduction to this, this artistic form that is, you know, not as appreciated as it used to be was really cool too. So that's my thing with Nutcracker. It's, it's not anything new. We've seen the Nutcracker a million times, but there are still things about it to really appreciate. And it's definitely one that parents can feel very comfortable taking their children to. Is it like Alice in Wonderland? Because that's the vibe I got. And that's what turned me off. It looks a lot like Alice in Wonderland, but it's so much different. It's it's better. That's good. Although is Keira Knightley's voice annoying? You know, I thought it would be. And at first it kind of is, but then she starts saying unexpectedly funny things that are like, they, I think, work better because of that voice. I'm glad to hear that you liked it because it just did not look good to me. And now I'm actually like, oh, I'd kind of be interested to see this. It was one that I think I was a little bit more excited about it than I was willing to admit. But I also was not expecting it to be anything great. And I was pleasantly surprised. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe because I went in with a little bit lower expectations. It, it exceeded them easily, so... Well, complete yeah. 360 from that movie. I mean, there's no nice not, transition. Not totally. Uh, well, eh, I mean, they're both ballet-based. Okay, that's that's it. That's literally the only connection. Women, women relationships women. between women. Yeah, but I don't believe Misty Copeland's got, like, all the blood and bone stuff seeping out of her leg that this movie has. So we went. Hey. <laughs> I mean, you know, I you we've seen Black Swan, haven't we? Oh, like there true. is a close union between ballet and dance and horror. That's true. That's true. Lauren and I saw Suspiria. I saw it too. Oh, you did. Oh, we right. all saw Suspiria. Oh, yay! We all saw Suspiria. I saw it like a month ago. Uh, the the remake of the Dario Argento film. This this version is directed by Luca Guadagnino, who did Call Me by Your Name and A Bigger Splash. I don't even really know how to introduce this movie. It's about a dance school that's got witches in it. That's the, like, surface-level reading. (laughs) I saw this last week. I have seen the Argento version several times. I can't say that I like it. I appreciate it. I think it's beautiful to look at. And that's even with, like, all the blood being splashed around. It's not a horror classic for me. I don't have the connection to it. Uh, It's because of the blood being splashed around that it's so beautiful. Thank you very much. That's true. That's true. (laughs) So I went and saw this, and I don't really know what I expected from it. I give Luca Guanino credit 
for showing his range because this is not call me by your name this is not a bigger splash i appreciate what he did in thinking about it over the last week i think i like the argento version better and i don't think i like this one <laughs> i mean it's it's a very slow dark movie that's very mired in what was going on in germany in the late 70s with bader meinhof and the coming cold war and and all of that so you almost need that kind of Lanthimos-esque historical context to it in order to really understand why we're including all this footage from the news and, and what's going on. I did love Dakota Johnson. She is the queen of, of 2018, pretty much. And Mia Goth is, is fantastic in this movie. I liked when it was focused. I felt that it was trying to layer on all these really crazy things and when it goes into this Ken Russell-esque finale, like I was into that, but it took so long to get there and it happened so quickly. I was just like, okay, something's happening now. And I'm going to say it. I do not feel this movie needs the Tilda Swinton in dude makeup. I think the movie wants to be feminist in this whole concept of like believing women and women's anger, but it's all undone with this male character who ends the movie having to be redeemed because he's a nice guy. Like, unless I missed something there, I just, I felt it really took away from the impact of the movie. I'm going to be very interested to see when this movie comes out to a mass audience. Cause I think as I think Karen and I talked about, this is going to be one of those like F cinema score films. Oh yeah. It's very slow. It's very deliberate. I just wish it had done a bit more to like elevate. I, I feel like when, when stuff happens, scares come, they're not balanced. This was a sit for me. This was a bit of a slog. Lauren, you you have a, a deep-seated connection to the original. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've said, I think, a couple of times that, that the original Suspiria is, is one of my favorite horror films and possibly one of my favorite films. And it's actually been quite a while since I've watched it all the way through. So watching this one, I was like, oh, I really want to go back and like watch some of the things with Argento's film because as anyone who's seen the original film, it's not about the plot. It's not about the narrative drive of anything. It's about the aesthetic. It's about the look. It's about the experience of nightmare. And one of the things that, that I had said earlier that I was very concerned about with this film was how much was it going to be a remake of Argento's film? How much was it going to be like, you know, we're going to completely depart from Argento? And what what was he going to do with this story and with the imagery and everything. And one of the things I really liked about the film was the fact that it is completely itself. For some people that's going to be good and for some people it's going to be bad. It's using Argento's work as a jumping off point and then going off on its own thing. And for the most part, actually, the more that I, I've said this before, the more that I thought about this film, the more I've liked it. There's a lot of really interesting stuff going on here, uh, some of which, I, you know, talking about the, the issues of feminism. I do think that this is kind of a building up of the concept of the sacred feminine, of this whole idea of these, these witches being older than anything else, you know? And I think even at the beginning, near, near the beginning of the film, the, um, the psychiatrist, whatever, Joseph Kemplerer, says these things are older than Christianity. They're older than anything that we know. This is like back, it's kind of stretching back into concepts of paganism, of the of, of Greek culture, of Roman culture, and even further back than that. And that's what the film is sort of building up. All of the imagery of the of the feminine connection to the earth, of the feminine connection to other women, 
the violence that women do to one another, as well as the violence that's kind of perpetrated on the female body. It, it has all of that stuff in there. And sometimes I think it's incoherent. Sometimes I think he doesn't know what he's doing with these images or with the stories and with the connection among the different members of the coven and the connection to Susie and Susie's relationship to her other, to the other dancers and Susie's past, which we begin to learn more and more about as the film goes on. So sometimes I think it's completely off of the mark and it doesn't do what it needs to. Other times it just, it hits, it hits the target perfectly. That's what I think elevates this film. I agree with you. It's overlong. And it could have been cut down probably by 15 or 20 minutes and still maintain the same impact and still, and probably had a better narrative drive as a result. There wouldn't have been that sense of like, now I'm bored, now I'm waiting for something to happen. Um, The film does need to maintain that tension and maintain that sense of the nightmare that we're sort of being plunged into deeper and deeper. At the same time, there's so much interesting stuff that's going on. There's so much to be talked about about this film. I like the fact that even though I don't think it's the greatest film ever made, there is so much to be said about it. And I I said earlier on our Slack that I want to see this film five more times and like write a fucking book about it. It's that interesting to me. Like there's so much that's happening. I want it to do well just because like uh, Guadagnino's talked about wanting to make the other two films, the the trilogy. And I want to see that. I want to see what he does with Tenebrae. I want to see the Mother of Tears things. I want to see what he builds from this mythology that Argento started. Kristen, when you said that it doesn't feel like a bigger splash or like Call Me By Your Name, the first film that I went to, and this is another imperfect film, but that also has a lot of really interesting stuff in it, is I Am Love. Yeah, that's, that's what um, I haven't so- seen that one yet. And that's what everybody says this is very similar too. So I need to, yeah, I need to it, see that one. Aesthetically, it's very similar and it has that same kind of operatic quality to it. And again, not perfect, not a perfect film. And it makes some choices and he makes some choices that I think don't work the way that they need to, but there's still a lot there and a lot to be dealt with. So I liked this film probably more than I even expected to, and I still find it just incredibly interesting. But the one thing that I will say about the the Tilda Swinton character, or the the secondary Tilda Swinton character, I agree that it kind of undercuts some of the things that the film has done, even within the previous five minutes before that ending. At the same time, I don't think it ruins it. And I don't think that it completely destroys, you know, so you've got two hours and 15 or 20 minutes of build up to all of this. And then you get that kind of disappointing epilogue. I don't think that that epilogue destroys what was built before, even though I think that it's, it's almost, it's an attempt to round out a story and to make a story palatable that probably shouldn't be palatable. We shouldn't end this feeling good about it. We shouldn't end this feeling good about men, quite honestly. It sort of asks us to, and I don't think that that works. So that was my biggest criticism, I think. Karen? This is a film that is, it's really, it's been so funny to to watch people react to it because I, like I said, I saw it maybe a month ago. So I saw it before a lot of people that I know did. And so I've been like, there have been certain people that have been like, oh, I can't wait to hear what you think. You know, <laughs> you two were, were on my list, but a couple of other people as well. And it's it's been really funny because most people either just hate it and never come around past that. But a lot of people, too, have been like, 
as soon as they're done watching it, they're like, I don't know what to think. And then a few days later, they're still talking about it. They're like, you know, I think maybe I liked it. And that's exactly what my experience was, too. When I first saw it, I was just like, I don't know what I just watched. (laughs) And now I have not seen the Argento version. I will fix that. Yes, but I have not seen it yet. So I didn't really know what to expect going in at all. Although it kind of sounds like that doesn't really even matter anyway. It is long. It's 151 minutes. But Guadagnino is a director that I will sit for a 150 movie, 50 minute Guadagnino movie because he knows how to use his time. Yeah, some choices. I agree with what you guys are saying. Some choices like the secondary Tilda Swinton character, not necessary, could have been excised completely and it wouldn't have lost anything to the story. But also, I didn't mind watching that. Dakota Johnson is amazing. I don't know what happened. I literally just until a few months ago was still saying that she was one of the most boring people in Hollywood. She has just like set out to prove that wrong because between this and Bad Times at the El Royale, I'm just like, man, this girl. I've been standing for her since her brief cameo in (laughs) Say It With Me Now at the Social Network. So, I mean, I've brought she's the best part of those Fifty Shades movies. (laughs) We'll talk about him in a few weeks, but Jamie Dornan too. It's like, okay, so they just needed to get away from Fifty Shades and and they actually have some talent here, but... You'll never get me to believe Jamie Dornan has talent. Um, you know, you might, you might just, you might change your opinion at some point soon. Really liked all the actors, all the actresses in this. I did think that Chloe Grace Moretz was a little bit in the opening, like when she's first meeting with Dr dr klemper it felt a little bit overacted like to the point of distracting but that was probably the only time she feels like stunt casting more than anything she was just in town and they were like we need somebody yeah and i would say she's the only one that i felt like that you know everybody else really felt like they belonged in that movie and she was the one person that felt like this this is just not working for me but everyone else was just so great there is one of the most disturbing sequences I've ever seen in a movie that happens in this. And it was so disturbing and so <laughs> disgusting. And I could not look away because I was just completely mesmerized by it. Is this the pretzel woman? Yes, that would be the one. And it was incredible. And I just, I, I want to watch it behind the scenes because I want to know how they did that because it looked so. That scene was weird because when that that was the scene that was shown to what was it cinecon i heard stories that people were like throwing up that it was the grossest thing they'd ever seen and i mean i've seen a lot of contortion stuff in film the rumor that i heard is that that scene was heavily toned down wow because when i watched it in the theater i was like okay this is gross as fuck but i heard that it was like obscenely gross in the original Uh, so i'm wondering i'm wondering if it had been altered if there's one person that has that reaction then they're gonna turn that into people were running out of the theater screaming you know like yeah yeah so i'm I'm wondering how much of that was hype yeah there seemed to be a lot of i that was my impression about the entire film actually because although it's very violent and the moments of violence are very striking like that scene the way that people were talking about it, I was like, either I am just totally desensitized to this stuff and it just doesn't bother me anymore, or y'all are a bunch of wusses, <laughs> like one or the other. Yeah. Yeah, I was sitting there like, okay, if anything, the scene that actually got a reaction out of me, and it's probably because of personal experience, was there's a, I'm not spoiling it, there's a, a leg breaking yeah. sequence yeah. in this movie. 
that that got me more than anything because I'm like I felt that nope I can't yeah. that got me more than anything overall do we do we recommend people go see it oh yeah yeah it's an experience I'm gonna say it's a rental no. if you really don't think you can sit for two and a half hours I'm gonna, no. <laughs> I'm gonna be that dick and be like it's a rental get yourself a large popcorn and just enjoy the crap out of it like just sit back know that you're in for something that's really weird and just embrace I'm it I'm very surprised that I am the one who is the most muted yeah, on the this movie like, the most like oh this is gonna be great and I know it's very weird it's been that year, guys. Okay, up is down, <laughs> night is day. Karen, you really do need to see the original film. Not and honestly, not because that, like, in order to compare it or anything like that, because they're two completely different films. But I think that they complement each other really well. Yeah, I really just want to experience it and, and enjoy it. I honestly was waiting for Filmstruck to get it, so um, <laughs> guess I'll Filmstruck is still adding things though, they so are. they might. Yeah, they we don't know. Yeah. Speaking of Filmstruck, we're going to close out by listing some of the things that we've discovered on Filmstruck since it's going to it's going to be closing on the 29th. Um, movies that you recommend people take the time to see. I've been watching a Filmstruck movie every night for the last five days and I've been charting it on Twitter. You can follow my journey there, but one movie that I would say you should definitely take the time to see that's on Filmstruck right now is Fear of a Black Hat. It's from 1993. It's a mockumentary directed by Rusty Kudiev, who did Tales from the Hood, which is one of my favorite horror movies. Yes, I say that as a white suburban <laughs> girl. It's his mockumentary looking at the 90s rap scene, like NWA and, and all of that. And it's one of the most blistering docu- mockumentaries I've seen. It's Spinal Tap level inside Like, you really need to know who they're talking about. But at the same time, it is a movie that is not hiding who they're talking about. There are, like, obvious comparisons. They're they're making fun of, like, John Singleton and, and Ice Cube and Spike Lee, all of these people. And they're not hiding just how ridiculous the rap scene was in 90, despite saying how politically motivated it was. It's a really interesting mockumentary that's really funny so you should definitely watch it um also i watched the passionate friends david lean um supposedly it's what paul thomas anderson says was his inspiration for phantom thread i have not seen phantom thread so i don't know how true that is but it's a really great romantic drama with claude rains that is not available on dvd or blu-ray so definitely go watch that as well i got a bunch of other things you again follow me on twitter i'm updating the thread every day lauren karen what have you guys discovered on filmstruck that other people should seek out i've been stumping for the early alfred hitchcock films a lot but particularly watch downhill first of all it's wonderful to see some of these early alfred hitchcocks actually in high quality prints because uh, most of the public domain ones that have been kind of floating around are just very poor audio and visual quality it's just not not great but downhill is a really interesting silent film for him it's Ivor Novello, so I think it was made the same year that they made The Lodger. But it's a, it's a melodrama, and it still incorporates all of these very interesting uses of the camera, uses of chiaroscuro, uses of... Um, there's a wonderful hallucinatory sequence that is just fascinating to watch, and it's actually one of Hitchcock's, I think, best non-thriller films. Um, it's a different speed for him, and is just 
a very interesting film. Along those lines, also Young and Innocent, which is one of my favorite of his British period. And again, doesn't get watched that much. And I think doesn't get as much credit as films like 39 Steps or The Lady Vanishes, which are a little better known and a little bit later. I love Young and Innocence. The other one, I mean, Knife in the Water. I know that we all have issues with Polanski. It's also a great film and it's available, again, in a very good print and it's it's a wonder to watch and it's a very interesting very claustrophobic movie and i love that the other one that i recently uh, uh, that i recently saw was the doubles the ken russell film which i know Kristen, you are not a huge fan of but <laughs> i was happy i watched it uh and it's not the unrated version which i am very sad about no, most places don't have the unrated version, so I anticipate yeah, it's, that. It's missing, in terms of the scenes that have been restored, it's missing two scenes. But it is a really interesting movie, and if, if for nothing else, watch it for Vanessa Redgrave. Yeah. Like, absolutely losing her shit. It's amazing. I'm never gonna buy that uh, Ollie Reed is, like, making nuns horny, though. I'm sorry, I just don't get it. Well, then there's obviously something wrong with you. <laughs> That's all I have to say. Like... I completely understand. Yeah, um, I was just sitting there and kept taking his shirt off. I was like, let's shirt it up, okay? I can't. I can't do this. And finally, I just want to give a shout out to uh, Frankenstein Created Woman, which is a late Hammer film with Peter, Peter Cushing as playing, yet again, Dr. Frankenstein. And it is one of the best Hammer Frankenstein movies. It is bizarre as fuck, and it is fascinating. And again... Very good print. That's This is one of the things I'm going to miss about Filmstruck is that these are actually really well restored. So we actually get to see the colors and we don't have to worry about like not being able to understand when, it, when people talk and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, there, there's so much good stuff on there. Just like watch everything. Yeah, really do watch everything. I was really excited about their collection of women directed films. They have a collection of 28 of them. One of the things that I was super excited about was actually, uh, it was a little while ago, it was over the summer they added them, but I'm finally getting around to them. And that is the, the Lena Vertmuller films. She was the first woman yeah. direct woman nominated for an Academy Award for Best Director for Seven Beauties, which is there. But they also have five or six of her other films, too. These never get released on streaming anywhere, so I'm super excited. I'm going to hurry up and watch them all before they're gone from Filmstruck because I, I don't know when I'm going to get another chance to see them. Seriously, Seven Beauties in particular. Have you guys seen that one? No. No. Oh my gosh, watch it. It's so good. <laughs> so Okay, that's, that's on my queue. Like, yeah. I put that on not that long ago. I didn't even know what it was. I just knew it was the first, you know first woman directed or director nominated nominee i can't talk today it's it's actually really good it's this guy he's from italy he's a thief and he ends up in prison because there's this pimp who like pimps out one of his sisters and he kills the guy for it and so he ends up in prison and then he ends up like then world war ii breaks out and he ends up in the army so it's just like this progression but it's it's good it's got moments that are funny it's all in italian with subtitles but uh, it's it's good it's really good i liked it a lot it was one of those i watched it because i felt like i should but then i actually ended up really enjoying it that's on filmstruck everybody try to consume as many movies as you can i know everybody including bill Hader, is trying to save it so what does everybody have on tap for this week afi 
Yes. <laughs> Karen and I will be at AFI Fest this coming week. So we are actually not recording an episode this coming weekend because we will be there. So everybody say a good thought that I end up on that on the basis of sex red carpet. And I get to be near my boys. <laughs> Karen will be there. She'll document all of it. Um, Lauren, what about you? Do you have anything you're catching this weekend? I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get out to see Beautiful Boy. Uh, I'm gonna try to get to that too. Um, that that actually came out this weekend, so I think nothing says Sunday like a movie about meth addiction. <laughs> I do want to say actually really quickly too, since we're talking about movies that are in theaters this weekend, Boy Erased is actually really good. That is not here yet in Sacramento. I didn't love Beautiful Boy, but I really liked Boy Erased. I kind of want to go up to the theater ticket lady and be like. I will take one ticket for the beautiful boy and beautiful boy. No, I'm not a pervert. Please just give me my ticket. We're both legal. Let me leave me alone. Yeah. Kristen, I have Call Me By Your Name on in the background right now, and it is the. <gasps> so. <Yay! laughs> I have it on mute, but I just looked up and I'm like, oh, Army Hammer's holding a piece. That doesn't okay. sound dirty at all. I'm watching Call Me By Your Name on mute. Yeah, that doesn't sound weird at all. Um, I actually haven't watched I was contemplating because I'm getting all my movies together because I watch movies on the airplane. If I don't, I will start to think that the plane is going to crash and that we're all in danger. And then I'll turn into Kristen Wiig and Bridesmaids. It's a 40 minute There's, I don't care. Okay. There's a colonial woman on the plane, wing of the plane. She's churning butter. There's something they're not telling us. That's what will, that's what will happen. So we all laugh about it, but it's very true. My friends have seen it. Um, so I, I was looking at my list of like movies that I have downloaded. I was like, okay. Do I bring Call Me By Your Name and just hope nobody sits by me? Because, like, I have an iPod that I play my movies on. And every time, the last time I brought that movie, I had, like, a little old woman sitting on my left. So, like, during the scene, I had to, like, constantly, like, try to not elbow her to, like, turn around. <laughs> so she didn't think I was some weirdo. Just just look at her and go, like, it was nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> Hell yeah. yeah. Be like, look, and this is Army Hammer. He's beautiful. Okay, just let it happen. Yeah. <laughs> just goes against everything i said earlier in this episode um yeah that's gonna close out this episode of citizen dame if you want to follow our exploits you can follow us on twitter at citizen dame pod we also have a facebook that we update occasionally it's facebook.com slash citizen dame if you're old school and want to send us an email with your thoughts comments suggestions you can email them to us at citizen dame pod at gmail.com we also have our official website which is citizen dame pod.com where we do our regular top fives this week's top five is our top five favorite movies that are available on filmstruck TCM can send us our checks in the mail. We also have Kim's Feminist Fridays looking at classic film. And Lauren, you're starting a column for the website. Yeah, I, I'm going to be, since Filmstruck is is going away, I'm going to be trying to write about some uh, some classic and art house films that are actually available on other streaming services because despite appearances, they are. So I'm going to be trying to write about that uh, once a week and give some recommendations. And then we have our... if. Patreon, if you want to go the extra mile and actually support us with your money, you can head over to patreon.com slash citizen dame. I've actually condensed some of the tiers to give people more bang for their buck. So actually, if you donate $3 or more every month, not only will you get our monthly Twitter shout out, but you're also going to get an official citizen dame button 
If you looked at our Citizen Dame uh, Twitter, we actually, I took the picture of the big bag O buttons sitting right now. So I will be sending those out, waiting for some snazzy official Citizen Dame cards to put with the button. Because I'm just, we just want to give you stuff. Definitely check it out if you haven't been over there. We're also going to try to update things a bit, bit more frequently. And also, dun da 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 we opened a store that's right we have merchandise now we have started a zazzle store to test the waters of how much you love us and whether you'd like to buy things with our creative well, Kristen's basic photoshopping skills is what i'm calling it <laughs> i'm actually surprised by how some of these came out so you can head over to zazzle.com slash citizen game pod right now we have uh, a couple things some citizen game official logo merch which you can get on a keychain or a t-shirt. We also have the start of my Chalamet collection. All my Chalamet sayings are going to go on merchandise. Woohoo! Um, so right now I only have one. Um, apparently I made some of them too small. So I have to like go in and, and make the, the logos bigger so they don't come out pixelated. And we also have our Miss Your Pine logo stitched all over <laughs> everything. So if you have ever wanted a notebook with a giant pine tree and the words Miss Your Pine on it, you can Would get you that. Because of course you would. Who? You know, the holidays are coming up. Buy somebody a mug that says Miss Your Pine on it, and they're going to think it's Christmas. But it's also about Chris Pine and his junk. If you want to look that over, you can go to Zazzle.com slash Citizen Dame Pod. A portion of what you buy goes to us. And if you go over there right now and buy something, you can get discounts of either 15 to 40% off select merchandise with the code SEASONS with a Z treat. That's from us to you. We're going to be adding more designs over the coming months. If you have a, a design or a saying or something that you like from us that you want to see on a t-shirt or a keychain or a trucker hat, just uh, send them to us and I will go on to Photoshop and hopefully cobble something together that doesn't look horrible. If there's anything that, that we say that you particularly enjoy, please let us know because it's hard for us to remember some of the Like, I remember everything I say because it's probably going to end up on a restraining order someday. But what everybody else says because they're like classy and smart and intelligent <laughs> and awesome. So yeah, if, if you want to know like something that Lauren says, you should definitely let us know. But you can also follow us on Twitter and send us your thoughts directly. I'm on Twitter at journeys underscore film. Kimberly Pierce is at kpierce624. Karen, where are you on Twitter? I am at Karen M. Peterson. And Lauren? I am at LH Business. So we will not be back next week, but we will be back the week after that before Thanksgiving. Hopefully talking less garbage men and more of that time Kristen hung out with Jess and Throw and Army Hammer. I don't know. And Fingers probably crossed. also Henry Golding. Exactly, Henry Golding. Yeah. So we'll be back <laughs> next time. Bye. Bye. Everyone, I want you to meet Larry Hemsworth. Oh, the legendary study group. I'm sorry it's taken me so long to build up the courage to meet you. I guess you can see why. Is he ashamed at having a perfect jawline and 0% body fat? Still can't believe she wants to marry me. A dumb old pediatric surgeon who barely has an eight pack. Do you know what you look like? More importantly, did Miley Cyrus write the song Wrecking Ball about Chris's brother Liam? Wonderful. More questions about my talented brothers? God forbid there's a single day when I'm the special one. Sweetheart, don't go. You're important too. Fixing baby spines is just as valuable as acting.